The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Lois Lane? Hi, Miss Lane. My name is Barry Dunning. I know who you are. Oh, then you're familiar with my show, In Your Face with Barry Dunning? Yeah, riveting journalism, especially the show on cross-dressing cousins and the has-been child stars who love them. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. You know, Miss Lane, I'm going to give you a chance to tell your side of the story. No comment. What about the photograph, Miss Lane? No comment. And are you or are you not having an affair with Superman? No comment. What do you say to those who are calling you Superman Super Strumpet? They're calling me Super Strumpet? Care to respond? No. Oh, come on, Miss Lane. I'm only after the truth. The truth means nothing to you. All you're interested in is sleaze. You're a disgrace to legitimate reporters like Clark and myself, and you are not going to get what you're digging for here, vulture boy. I'm not going to give you some soundbite that you can twist and turn. Whatever my relationship is with Superman is nobody's damn business but my own. So get out of my face! Good morning, London. It's Thursday, January 22nd, 2015. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, it's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Welcome to our show today, where we will continue what we left off at the end of the last show with. And Robert, I understand you're also going to be delving into the issue of, is it animal rights as such, or is it a broader issue than that? How we treat animals, the legality of it, and whether or not we can objectively give them legal status. Of any kind. Of any kind, yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll be getting into that in the second half of the program. We left you at the end of our show last week with a to-be-continued as our investigation into the disturbing facts about the women behind the Bill Cosby allegations began. And we looked at a number of the alleders and also made, made very clear that our only source, remember, of these stories is the alleders themselves. And there's, there's a lot to be said there just on that basis alone. Can you, can you take their word on what they're saying? Because even their own stories destroy the allegations. And last week we covered Lachelle Covington, Carla Ferrigno, um, Joyce Emmons, a couple of others. And, uh, you know, for details on these stories and more, please check out our, our last broadcast of Just Right. You can check it out on www.justrightmedia.org. And this week, my selection's been made for me by what happened at the Cosby concert in Denver this past weekend, as reported by People magazine. Namely, two of the most credible of the allegers, Beth Ferrier, who's number five on Slate.com's list that we're working from, and Chloe Goines, number 26 on Slate. We'll be taking a closer look at their stories very shortly. But first, these very recent updates on the Cosby controversy. London Free Press this past Saturday, January 17th, and the, the buzz column writes, NBC done with Cosby. NBC had been in the early stages of developing a show with Cosby set to play a role as a family patriarch, but the ND NBC Entertainment chairman, Robert Greenblatt, said Cosby's involvement was halted when the scandal reached critical mass. One reporter at the Television Critics Association tour asked, well, what's critical mass? Fifteen women, yes? Two, no? Greenblatt replied sarcastically, yes, 15 yes, two no. Do you honestly want me to answer that question, he said? What changed is what happened a couple of months ago, he said. I didn't think it was a problem until it became critical. 
end quote. Now, I don't see why Greenblatt wouldn't want to answer the numbers question, because that's exactly what he and virtually all members of the media have argued is their entire and sole basis of if they have a judgment against Cosby. Well, 30 people can't be wrong. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the stark and glaring power of playing the numbers game in the very calculated and well-orchestrated campaign against Cosby spearheaded by feminist lawyer Gloria Allred. But this numbers game is both the power and the Achilles heel of the campaign. While most people are understandably swayed by the numbers and thereby conclude that where there's smoke, there's fire, what they seem not to entertain is the possibility that the ill wind blowing that smoke is coming from the opposite direction. Or as Paul McKeever observed to me, he says, you know, a thousand scientists can't be wrong about catastrophic global warming, <laughs> right? The science is settled. 30 women can't be wrong about Bill Cosby. His guilt is settled. And that's the whole argument we're seeing. And this kind of brings me to the subject of UFOs. Yes, you heard me right, UFOs. I have to use this as an analogy. Suppose, Robert, 30 people simultaneously, though without cameras or any evidence, and in separate places, reported sighting an unidentified flying object, but at the same time, in the same sighting, uh, what we'd call a UFO. Each of them individually confirmed the date and time and position of the UFO, and all of the reports appeared consistent enough to conclude that they had indeed sighted something common to each of their experiences. Would their sighting be considered to be credible? Well, I would have to answer yes. They saw something, but the interpretation as to what is another discussion. But suppose those same 30 people reported their individual UFO sightings, each sighting having taken place at a different nebulous time and place, all a little different from each other, and based on memories of the experience spanning 20 to 50 years ago. Some, some might even recall being anally probed. Would they be credible as the first group? Not by a long shot. So using my UFO sighting analogy, what feminist lawyer Gloria Allred has done is released all of the old, separate, independent UFO sightings at the same relative time to create an illusion that the sightings all have credibility by having occurred around the same time in the minds of the public and media who are only hearing of the age-old sightings for the first time, which brings up the subject of UFOs again. And this is the unidentified feminist objectives, which no one is talking about, and which keep floating to the top of all these Cosby stories as I've been piecing it together, which, which appear to be an effort no other reporter in the media seems to be doing, let alone the alleged, they're not looking at them. And this is all thanks to the power of playing the numbers game against Cosby. There, after all, there's 30 alleges for goodness sakes, and even if we prove one or two to be not credible, that still leaves 28, right? And who has the time to go through all 28, especially when doing so might end the entire controversy? Well, I've undertaken that, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to report all 30 of them on the show over time, but I want to get to as many as we can over a period of time, because this issue is much bigger than Cosby. It has a lot to do with things that will affect us right here in Ontario, legislatively. This is all timed for a very specific reason, and it's all about politics when it comes right down to the end of it. And that's where we're beheading next. I'm going to take our first break now, which is interestingly from an episode of Lois and Clark. And uh, I can't tell you, Robert, this is just a complete parallel to what I'm finding. How Again, you luck into these clips, Bob, uh, I 
don't know. It's just stunning, but it, but it, it appears that these scenarios are not new. I mean, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? These things happen, and they happen repeatedly, and people get sucked in by them all the time. And I'm still hearing people talking on the media even this morning about, uh, you know, Cosby's assumed guilt right off the bat, and it's and and people copying out of his his uh, performances in Denver and in California. We'll be getting back to that shortly, but first, let's listen in on this. You guys haven't seen this morning's National Inquisitor, have you? That supermarket rag? Why would we? Or the dirt digger? Of course not, Jimmy. What's going on? Oh, my God, Clark. Lois. That's me. And Superman. Guys, let me just be the first to say that I don't believe it for a second, all right? It's obviously fake. The photograph's fake. It's unequivocally bogus. I, although it's uh, pretty good work. I mean, I've never seen anything quite as good. The matte lines all matched. Jimmy. Legs, sorry. On your team, 100%. Lois, Clark, in my office. Chief, first of all, I want you to know... Of course, I don't believe a word of it, Lois. I know you'd never do anything like that to Clark. I've never seen two people so in love. This is just pure tabloid trash. It's that simple. Thanks, Chief. Now, that said, this thing's already blown up pretty big. Now, the Daily Planet has yet to take an official position, but I can't sit on my hands much longer. The, uh... Fellows upstairs are breathing down my neck to clean up this mess. So, uh, what do you want me to do? What do we print? Super seduction or lust for Lois? No, to Superman. My guest is oh. Father Morton. I'm Barry Dunning. In your face. This is fantastic. It's everywhere. They're all picking it up. Every station, every wire, every show. It's even on the internet. Oh, Superman's blood is in the water and the sharks are swimming in to take a bite. You're a genius, Mr. Good. Call me Randy. Because you just climbed up the ladder, Miss Vice President. Are you serious? As a heart attack. Are you kidding me? This is the biggest story of the year. Superman's image will be fading as fast as Michael Bolton's hairline. This is fabulous. No, but we can't stop here. No, no, no. We, we really must stoke the fire. We've got to orchestrate a full-tilt smear campaign against Superman. Anything goes, even if it's a lie. The more outrageous, the better. Uh, a Superman uses x-ray vision to peep at my sister. Superman uh, dropped me while he was flying, and I smelled booze on his breath. We don't need kryptonite to destroy Superman. We've got the most powerful weapon ever invented. A scandal! And we're going to take Superman down with it. And then, there'll be a new man of the year. Me. concerned about the children, Barry. After all, Superman was their one undisputed moral reference point. And if this terrible tragedy turns out to be true, then how can our children take morality seriously if the pillar of morality himself has committed adultery? Is that the point you're making, Father? Exactly. The consequences could be calamitous. And a shocking story continues to rock people everywhere. I think it's a tragedy. I've got a four and a five-year-old, uh, what am I supposed to tell them? You know, Superman was their hero. I used to look up to Lois Lane, and I felt that I could really trust her reporting, but now, this is all her fault. She is the one who seduced him. Poor Clark Kent. You think it's awesome? You think I wouldn't be out bagging babes if I had Superman? enough of this trash. Forget about it. Let's just concentrate on getting to the bottom of this. 
Let's do that, shall we? Uh, you know, just listening to those comments there, they could have been talking about Bill Cosby. Yes. <laughs> just literally, that's the, that was the debate. I've been reviewing the reviews of the Bill Cosby concert tour I collected out of various newspapers over the past two weeks, and I'm beginning, Robert, to feel like the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. I really am. Tabloid journalism from top to the bottom, from the National Post down to the National Enquirer, as you concluded last week, Robert. I, w- I thought you were a little over the edge there, and now I'm coming to think you didn't get anywhere near the edge. <laughs> uh, this is from the National Post. I had a bunch of articles. This is the only one of theirs I can get to today, but it just shows you how people accept what they hear without investigating too far and then make, make other assumptions based on that. And this is written by Diana Meta. Uh, in a January 5th National Post, Bill Cosby shows to go on despite protests. This is, well, he, just as he was entering the, the Southern Ontario uh, Kitchener-Hamilton-London concerts that he was doing. And she writes, Maureen Draskovich and her family have decided not to attend the Cosby performance. Quote, we hold him accountable for his behavior and his behavior is disgusting, end quote. Now my first question already, I'm saying, to what behavior? Does she really know, or has she only heard the allegations? And because if you heard, read the whole allegation, I don't even know if you could focus on what the behavior was. The article goes on to report that Cosby's image has been, quote, pummeled in recent weeks by a flurry of allegations, end quote. Well, that's not true, as it was just described there. It hasn't been pummeled in recent weeks. None of the uh, allegations were made in recent weeks by anyone. With one recent exception, which we'll be dealing with shortly, all of the allegations span a period of a half century ago to about a decade ago when they originally appeared in the gossip columns of various tabloid newspapers or, in the case of a few, were publicly settled in out-of-court settlements. What did happen in recent weeks was a feminist campaign spearheaded by U.S. lawyer Gloria Allred, a feminist, who collected all of these old allegations, I think specifically choosing allegations that could not be acted upon in a court of law, to spearhead their self-stated campaign that we discussed in detail on last week's broadcast, and we'll summarize again in the future. Another thing that did happen in recent weeks was the fact that Cosby went on a North American tour, which would make it near impossible for him to do anything but focus on his performances, and which would also make him a sitting target for the orchestrated and well-organized and timed campaign by Aldred. The National Post goes on to say that Cosby has has had little to say publicly about his scandal, although he did tell a Florida newspaper last month that, quote, a guy doesn't have to answer to innuendos, end quote. His wife has also stepped forward, calling Mr. Cosby kind, generous, and a wonderful husband and father. Now, I found that very interesting because I quoted that very source on the show last week. And the National Post reporter, who must have been looking at the same report to get the quotes she printed, maybe unless she, she saw another you know, sub-quote, sub <laughs> didn't print the most important thing in the interview, the part that I emphasized on last week's show. Cosby's plea to the media to please check the facts before you print decades-old allegations. You know, I wouldn't be printing Cosby's plea either if I had no intention of doing any such background checks or fact-checking, because for the media, it's not about sorting out the facts or getting at the ultimate truth. It's about ratings and sales. Getting an interview with Cosby is uh, the only thing better than talking about allegations against Cosby. 
But Cosby won't give the tabloids an interview, so they join in the feminist campaign against him by sourcing and helping them with their publicity that the cause needs. And always remember, the tabloid press pays for interviews and gossip with the stars and with people who say they've met the stars, and that's, that's the case in a lot of these situations. And getting at the facts, given what those facts appears to be, serves neither of those two objectives. And finally, the article concludes with, we're appalled that any Canadian city would host Bill Cosby, said Megan Walker, executive director of the London Abused Women's Centre, end quote. Now, aside from Megan's appalling assertion that she's appalled, there's still something not quite descriptive enough about who Megan Walker is and what she represents, particularly in the context of this issue and campaign. She's a radical feminist who represents a radical feminist organization, ostensibly called the London Abused Women's Centre, and which is more accurately described on the website of that self-same group. I couldn't believe it when you told me this, Robert. And I went there, and yes, you're correct. Um, you know, she keeps talking about uh, the London Abused Women's Centre. Everybody thinks it's a, a help place for abused women, but its mission is feminism. Um, I had one person tell me that Megan Walker is the wrong person for the right cause, thinking that they were that she was working for this cause of helping abused women. But that's only if you believe that that's the cause. But if the cause is feminism, then Megan Walker is the right person for the right job. <laughs> and here's their mission statement. You can find it yourself on their homepage. To provide long-term feminist counseling and advocacy and support to abused women, not medical, not legal, not anything that addresses the implied purpose stated in the name, but long-term feminist counseling and advocacy, ostensibly to support abused women, but to be done in a political way. And a list among their list of beliefs are all women are potential victims of violence and abuse for no other reason than their gender, a radical feminist approach to addressing patriarchy is essential in achieving women's equality. found it interesting that Cosby's cancelled NBC show had him cast in the role of the family patriarch. <laughs> and ending violence and abuse against women requires advocating for personal, social, and political change, she says. And she's talking about having a cause, and that, that's where they get into the whole issue. You think maybe that's why that Cosby is being attacked, is that he portrayed on television a strong father figure in a stable family. Not only that, that's true, but not only that, his politics is very much at the center of this. Mm. There's a lot to this, and he's have been criticizing the black community. I, I, like, as I said, I'm beginning to think he's a bit of a conservative relative to a lot of the rest of Hollywood, and that makes him a target. Um, you know, People Magazine reports from D Denver, Colorado, by Vicki Bain on January 18th as follows on the concert that Cosby performed there just this past Saturday. After a day of protests against Bill Cosby, the comedian performed two shows Saturday at the Buell Theatre in Denver before an audience which showed him their full support. When Cosby walked out for his 5 p.m. show uttering, Hey, 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 his traditional Fat Albert opening, wearing a gray hoodie with the words, Hello, friend, the audience estimated around 1,800 people in a 2,900-seat auditorium cheered in response. For the next hour and 40 minutes, Cosby regaled the crowd, but not one word was said about the protesters outside, including women's right attorney Gloria Allred and one of his alleged victims, Beth Ferrier, who, by the way, we'll be looking at shortly. As the performance wrapped up, the audience of mixed ages and genders stood in standing ovation, applauding loudly while Cosby offered a military salute and thanks. Earlier that afternoon, a much smaller audience greeted Aldred and Ferrier, who hosted a rally attended by about 75 men and women. So if this is a numbers game, 
I think Cosby's winning. By huge numbers, by huge <laughs> numbers, exactly. But the media is not paying attention. Cosby has never been charged with a sexual assault, and that's more significant than we can even imagine. Faces a new complaint from model Chloe Goines that is now being investigated by the Los Angeles de Police Department. So I'm sitting there, I'm reading this, I'm going, oh, Chloe Goines, I haven't heard of her. She must be number 31. But no, I went back to my list. I did a control F, checked out Goines. No, there she is. She's in the list. Been there all the time. She's nothing new, but relatively recent because she's under the under some kind of statute of limitations issue. <clears throat> and this is from the Daily Mail uh, in in the UK, in the UK, December fifteenth by Ryan Perry, West Coast correspondent in Las Vegas for Mail Online, another sort of you know National Enquirer kind of source, speaking exclusively to Mail Online. And by the way. All of these allegations were some kind of exclusive report to some tabloid. W why would it be exclusive? Why wouldn't it have been everywhere? And remember, they're all ancient, okay, relatively speaking. Said she was attacked after a girlfriend invited her to one of Hugh Hefner's inf infamous summer parties in 2008. I was wearing a cute little dress and my friend was wearing a strapless tan dress. Goyne says the party was in full swing when they arrived at the mansion around 11 p.m. We were talking to Hef for a while and that's when Bill Cosby walked up. He seemed like a really nice guy, really funny. We were talking, laughing, and having fun. He gave me a vodka mixer, I think. I wasn't really supposed to drink because of my age, but I was like, okay, cool. I thought I got a drink on the side. I remember the drink being kind of strong, but it didn't taste funny or anything like that. Then out of nowhere, Chloe claims she began to feel dizzy and unsteady on her feet. At that point, Hefner, realizing that Goines wasn't feeling well, offered the use of one of his many spare bedrooms so she could lie down. Then Bill offered to show me the room. He said he knew the way. That was the last thing Goines remembers. She claims she woke up, get this, completely naked on a bed and alleges Cosby was hunched over her licking her toes and was pleasuring himself. Goines says she doesn't think she was raped or molested in any other way, but added, I can't be 100% sure. I was completely out of it. She says the experience changed her view of men and she finds it hard to trust men. Unlike many of those women, I don't think he raped me, so I'm one of the lucky ones. <laughs> What's she doing in this list? Hugh Hefner responded, Bill Cosby has been a good friend for many years and the mere thought of these allegations is truly saddening. I would never tolerate this kind of behavior regardless of who is involved. And, and Cosby's lawyer, Marty Singer, did not respond to a request for comment from Mail Online, and Playboy did not respond to a request for comment either. However, you know, they did re request or respond to a request from People magazine later. Um, but this is from ABC Eyewitness News Los Angeles. This is the one you sent me just yesterday, Robert. Of course, they've now double confirmed, in fact, Cosby was not there. They know where he was. He was in a total other place on the other coast, etc., etc. I don't even want to go into that. It's just absurd. And uh, while the yellow journalism of Mail Online did not attract a response from Cosby or Hefner, it was a different story when it came to People magazine, who simply reported the original tabloid story, and Cosby did issue a statement. His attorney, Marty Singer, said that he didn't attend the party there, etc., which we have the details of now. In response, this is interesting, Goins' attorney, Spez, uh, Spence Coven plans to fight back and tells people, if Cosby has evidence, then we would like to see it, and the LAPD would like to see it too. Otherwise, it's just a lawyer's words, end quote. 
Now I found this whole thing outrageous from and unbelievable from start to finish. Never mind the alleger not only doesn't have any evidence herself, nor even a coherent allegation. Every standard of reason, justice, and morality insists that the onus is on the alleger to provide evidence of something that happened, not on the accused having to provide evidence of something that did not happen. It's metaphysically and logically not possible to provide evidence of non-existence, which is yet another reason why Cosby has wisely chosen not to speak to this dysfunctional media. Chloe Goines is, one, is the one in the driver's seat here, not Cosby, and I think she's been kicked out of it already because her story, you know, even if without the, 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 the denial, her story's been, it, it implicated Hugh Hefner, who clearly must have been a witness to what she said if it was true, and there must have been hundreds of people at the party in full swing by 11 p.m., at least one of whom might have taken a picture or said they knew she was there, but she has no witnesses, no corroborating anything. And let's not forget in the back of our minds, as a number of ex-Playboy bunnies have begun starting to join the pattern of casting allegations against Cosby, that Hugh Hefner himself is getting on in years and is also a very wealthy and influential target. And we, uh, we actually broadcast our own feature on Playboy and the Playboy philosophy way back on September 17, 2009. But I have to conclude that based solely on what I've re seen and read here, that it's all, all we've got, folks, both Chloe Goines and lawyer Kevin, or Spence Coven are looking more like criminals than like victims with a valid allegation. And now back to Beth Ferrier, who appeared with feminist lawyer and activist Gloria Allred at this past weekend's huge 75-person anti-Cosby rally in Denver. As I understand it, she too is considered to be one of the more credible alleders. She's number five in Slate.com's list. And, she, and her story originally f uh, appeared in FreeRepublic.com June 23, 2005, or that's where it was reprinted from the Philadelphia Daily News, sorry. About 21 years ago, another couple decades old one, after she ended a months-long consensual affair with the entertainer, she says he drugged her when she visited him before a performance in Denver, which happens to be the city that they had their concert last week. Ferrier, 46, who at the time, 21 years earlier, worked at a, at a model, says she has no memory of what happened. None of these people have memory. Isn't that convenient? A little convenient. I woke, up and I woke up and I was in the back of my car all alone. I was so out of it, it was just awful. You just had drunk too much, she said, Cosby told her. Ferrier has passed a lie detector test about her claims. Although, what's the claim here? That she woke up in the back seat of a car and Cosby told her that she was just drunk? What's, what's the lie in that? That doesn't even constitute an allegation. There's nothing there. She's one of the 12 anonymous Jane Doe witnesses in former Temple University's women's basketball executive Andrea Constant's civil lawsuit of drugging and groping her. That one, by the way, was settled in 2006, which was a year after this article appeared. So we're getting news reports, overlapping news reports, some of which have been settled, some of which have already gone by the way, wayside. And of course, police refuse to lay charges, citing lack of evidence, etc., etc. Ferrier said she told no one about the night in Denver for years. Then in February, she read the National Enquirer. So we know what kind of news she reads. And she, came, she said, that explains it. I've not, after all these years, had an expl explanation. So she calls up the Enquirer, ostensibly trying to reach Constant. She ends up agreeing to tell their stor her story to the supermarket tab, and they pay her 7500 bucks for the story. Ever heard anything like that, Robert? You know, her story, though, was not published. 
Instead, the paper published a front-page interview with Cosby in which he said he wouldn't give in to the people who were trying to exploit him because of his celebrity. And, you know, uh, Stuart Zakem, an Inquirer spokesman, would not say why Ferrier's interview was never published. I want to support Andrea, and I want to support Tamara, Ferrier said. That's, those are no reasons to put an allegation in. Cosby was a warm and gracious host, she said. He was going to help us with our careers, she recalled. And that, dear listeners, was the very last time that in June 2005 that Bill Cosby gave an interview to the tabloid press, and the tabloids were furious. They, too, are an intricate and critical player in the anti-Cosby campaign, because, after all, virtually all of the allegations originated in the yellow journalism that is their calling card. By the way, just this past week, the National Enquirer, according to a commentary I heard by CJBK Steve Garrison, reported that the moon was being inhabited by illegal aliens. Illegal aliens <laughs> on the moon. I'm still looking for a credible allegation, and my search will continue. Uh, but not today. When we return, we'll be talking about the real alien species among us. Alien to the human species, not to the planet, and that is animals, animals. Back after this. Something like this doesn't just happen by accident. Somebody's out to get you. Or you, honey. Uh, Superman was not supposed to be at Chateau Roberge. Lois Lane and Clark Kent were. Well, either way, the first thing we should do is figure out who took this picture. It's uncredited, which is suspicious considering all the notoriety it's gotten. I mean, you'd think that this photographer would be all over the TV circuit by now if there weren't more to it. That might be true, but... I guess it's just the price we pay for being in the public eye. You know, every once in a while, somebody's going to take a pot shot at us. Like last year, when that woman claimed to have had Superman's love child. Oh, honey, but there's a big difference here. That was a lie. This... this isn't. This actually happened. No, it didn't. This says that Lois Lane cheated on her husband, and we both know that's not true. Okay, yes. But the point is that the whole rest of the world doesn't know that, honey. And there's no way of telling them the real truth. I'm suggesting that we do whatever it takes to get to who's trying to get at us, or, or you, or me. That's what I'm suggesting. I agree that that's very important, honey, but I think there's a bigger issue here. The truth. You're a uh, air herald. No. Let me give you a hint. What has four legs and poops in a box? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have committed no crime. You ever take a lie detector test before, Harold? No. Okay. Here's how it works. <clears throat> Brand new one. Mm. <clears throat> you put your hand on the glass. Put your hand on the glass. And then I ask you a question like. Why did you tell me, Harold? I had a wife and kittens. Is it because I wicked my butt? I know it's disgusting, but I, I can't help it. I didn't kill you. Harold! That is so disappointing. Harold. This has all been a huge misunderstanding. That was my cat that you saw me with in the alley. I was simply trying to get her back home. That's all. Except we went to your apartment, Harold. No cat food, no cat litter. Okay, you're right. I was house-sitting for a friend. I left the window open. The Harold, the good liar, okay, he, he picks a story, and he sticks to the story! Harold, we know you hate cats. All that 
fur and, and the scratchy little tongues. <laughs> but you like the way it feels when you snap their necks, don't you, Harold? So we're back. And uh, I'm going to change the tune a little bit. I'm going to talk about animal rights, if they have any, and if they don't, why not? That little clip, uh, you picked that up, uh, Bob, from where? Yeah, from one of my favorite shows, that, you know, one of those one-season wonders. I've talked about it on, on the show before, The Unusuals. Uh-huh. And that is like one of the many unusual cases that they would have <laughs> on that show. What was going on there? Somebody was Somebody was killing cats in the neighborhood, and they noticed that there were, you know, reward for cat nappers or something all over the neighborhood and yeah. it was just a, a pandemic and they finally find the guy and he's got this thing about cats <laughs> well you know on my facebook feed somebody posted some uh, a really disturbing youtube image of a, a guy uh, torturing and killing cats really and um i watched it and it was sickening and, it and they leave it up eh? it's uh, youtube leaves something like youtube that is yeah youtube leaves up anything unless it's copyrighted basically from what i know or sex um but, yeah, Tor- Torture is okay, but sex is not. Hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the, uh, the, the yeah. mentality. But uh, it sort of prompted, uh, it's always stuck in the back of my mind, as to what, if anything, should be done about people who torture animals. Now, uh, objectivists would say nothing. And I say this because I listened to a uh, Leonard Peikoff podcast where he decried, of course, uh, the torture of uh, animals. He's a dog lover. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he said he could not uh, r- rationalize any laws against um, the torture of animals other than you know, ostracizing the person who did that. And that stuck in my craw because I don't agree. Um, now, again, we've talked on this show before about the origin of rights and the misconception that animals that is, animals other than ourselves, have rights. Today I'd like to expand on that topic a bit and make it clear that just because animals don't have rights does not mean that we who do can treat them in any fashion we choose. Animals may not have rights in our society, but they do have status. And just as I have talked about the nature of rights, I'd like to introduce the topic of the nature of status. And by the way, Bob, this is an idea that I have to thank you for. You put me onto this track, and I, and I think it's the right one. Why do we give animals status in law? Is there an objective route to animal cruelty laws? To put status in context, I must first revisit the origin of rights, individual rights as applied to humans. To my knowledge, Ayn Rand is the only philosopher to correctly identify the origin of individual rights. Her reasoning has been masterfully condensed by Craig Biddle, the uh, editor of the Objective Standard. In his article entitled Ayn Rand's Theory of Rights, The Moral Foundation of a Free Society, which appeared in Volume 6, Number 3 issue of the Standard and is available online, he begins by rejecting the three traditional bases for the origin of rights, those being God government, and nature. The founding documents of the United States identify rights as coming from God. It is believed tacitly with no objection. It's taken on faith, since there is no evidence for even the existence of such a God. It's just shaky foundation, easily dismissed as, is, as easily as it is to dismiss anything uh, without evidence. No evidence for it. I mean, we're coming to the Cosby thing here again. No evidence? That's right. Um, dismissed, you know, case dismissed. You have no evidence. You have faith. That's all. Hearsay. As Biddle puts it, the theory 
amounts not to a rational theory, but a demonstrable source of inalienable rights, but to a fantasy about supernatural permissions. So, if these are God-given rights, in other words, the source of your rights is supernatural. A common fallacy in, uh, by my most secularists and leftists is that man created government, and government, therefore, gives us rights. Well, of course, man did create government, but government doesn't give us rights. It's often evident in court cases when the Supreme Court fails to recognize a particular right because it's not been enumerated in the Constitution. In Canada, this is clearly laid out in Section 1 of the Constitution, which in essence says that we have rights so long as Parliament says we do. That's my interpretation, but that's Section 1 of our Constitution. The Bill of Rights in the United States is a remarkable document, to be sure, but the enumeration of the rights in it has been taken to mean that if it wasn't in the Bill of Rights, then we don't have those rights, often ignoring the Ninth Amendment, with re which reads, quote, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people, unquote. The problem here is that since the time of the Bill of Rights, no intellectual has had the proper philosophic grounding to expand upon just what those other rights are. As I put it on a... Remember, this is an issue that can also touch on children. Who don't I will touch on children. Oh, you children. are? Okay. I will okay yeah, you're mm -hmm. getting ahead of me. Sorry. But I will go there. As I have put, on, uh, put it on it on a previous show, governments don't grant rights. They either protect them or they do not. Thomas Jefferson, as quoted by Biddle, said, quote, Man is endowed by nature with rights, unquote. As such, they are meant to be taken as inherent, inalienable, and unchangeable. unchangeable. Further reading of the enlightened thinkers of the time reveals that what they meant by natural law is God-made law, and that the word nature was often used interchangeably with the word God. So instead of nature being the source of our rights, these thinkers were in fact saying that rights had, again, a supernatural source. Have I introduced you to my invisible friend yet, Bob? Because that's about basically what they're trying to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> I see him right there beside you. Uh -huh. <laughs> Ayn Rand was the first to elucidate an observation-based morality, and not one granted from on high by government, God, or nature. I would encourage you to read Rand's Ethics for a complete picture of her observation-based morality in respect to rights, but to put her reasoning succinctly, I take the progression from Craig Biddle's article. Rand, quote, Morality is a code of values to guide man's choices and actions, the choices and actions that determine the purpose and the course of his life, unquote. What are values? A value is, quote, that which one acts to gain and or keep. Unquote. Rand saw what values do not apply just to man, but to all living things. What are values for? To whom and or for what? To whom is easy? Quote, the object of uh, the object a living thing acts to keep are its values. Values to it, says Biddle. As to what values, uh, what are values for Rand? Um, she had this to say, quote, There's only one fundamental alternative in the universe, existence or non-existence, and it pertains to a single class of entities, to living organisms. The existence of inanimate matter is unconditional. The existence of life is not. It depends on a specific course of action. 
Matter is indestructible. indestructible. It changes forms. But it cannot cease to exist. It is only a living organism that faces a constant alternative, the issue of life or death. Life is a process of self-sustaining and self-generated action. If an organism fails in that action, it dies. Its chemical elements remain, but its life goes out of existence. Unquote. Life is the answer to the question of what are values for. Again, quoting Craig Biddle, The concept of value is rooted in the concept of life. Value means that toward which a living thing acts. And moral value, value proper to human beings, means, quote, that toward which a person acts in accordance with the requirements of human life, unquote. Rand further observed, says Biddle, that because human beings are individuals, each with his own body, his own mind, his own life, this standard applies to human beings as individuals. Man's life is the standard of moral values, and each individual's own life is his own ultimate end. Each individual is morally an end in himself, not a means to the end of others. The moral principle here is egoism. Now, importantly, egoism, properly understood, is not hedonism or subjectivism. It does not hold pleasure or feelings as the standard of value. And when we come back from this break, what I'll quote next will properly identify why humans have rights and animals do not. Uh, where are you taking me? No place. <laughs> Just want to talk. I told you I have nothing more to say. Mm-hmm. Nothing, huh? Oh, what are you going to do? You going to hit me? Thing is, Harold, we know you killed those cats. We're not going to go back inside until you confess. Either one of you touch me and I'll sue you, okay? Oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, Harold. You what are you doing? A little oh, seasoning. Oh, oh, oh. Eric? I'm going to sue you. Uh, have some fish sauce. There you go. Bye-bye. Darling, I'm a surprise for you. I'm not going to cook hotcakes this morning. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you don't like my hotcakes. Oh, no, yes, I like your hotcakes. I'm just glad you're not going to have the... Uh, what are you going to cook instead? Eggs. Have we got any? I left a note with the egg lady. The egg lady? Alice, the chicken. You left a note for a chicken? Mm, I told her we need three eggs. Excuse me, I want to see if she got our order ready. <laughs> Good morning, Alice. Did you get my note? <laughs> Look, darling. She made us an extra one. <laughs> Mr. Hinn, would you like to have some breakfast? Well, that's mighty thoughty of you. We're having eggs this morning. 
eggs from little Alice. I told you when I sold that hen to you that she was a layer. <laughs> I left her a note to make us three eggs, and she made us four. Well, she probably just don't recognize your handwriting yet. <laughs> you gotta make the numbers real big so they... Oh, come on. A note-reading handwriting. Well, they've got a horse on TV that talks. He doesn't talk. Well, he sure sounds like he does. <laughs> I wonder if animals could talk. Would they ask for their rights? <laughs> well, once they do, then we have to start thinking about it. That's true, yeah. Um, you know, why doesn't Alice the chicken have rights? Well, quoting Biddle, again from the objective standard, Rand saw that man, like all living things, has a means of survival, whereas plants survive by means of an automated vegetative proce- process, photosynthesis, and whereas animals, like Alice the chicken, survive by means of automatic instinctive processes, hunting, fleeing, nest building, etc., Man survives by volitional means, by choosing to use his mind to identify and pursue the requirements of his life, unquote. And quoting Rand, quote, Man cannot survive as animals do, by the guidance of mere percepts. A sensation of hunger will tell him that he needs food, if he's learned to identify it as hunger. But it will not tell him how to obtain food, and it will not tell him what food is good for him or poisonous. He cannot provide for his simplest physical needs without a process of thought. He needs a process of thought to discover how to plant and grow his food and how to make weapons for hunting. His percepts might lead him to a cave, if one is available. But to build the simplest shelter, he needs a process of thought. No percepts and no instincts will tell him how to light a fire, how to weave cloth, how to forge tools, how to make a wheel, how to make an airplane, how to perform an appendectomy how to produce an electric light bulb or an electric tube of of cyclotron or a box of matches. Yet his life depends on such knowledge, and only a volitional act of consciousness, a process of thought, can provide it. So, that's unquote. If using reason to act in our rational self-interest is a moral principle, then the question remains, as Biddle put it, quote, what can stop us from acting on our judgment, unquote? The only answer is other people. And this is where rights come into the process. From Rand, rights are a moral concept, the concept that provides a logical transition from the principles guiding an individual's actions to the principles guiding his relationships with others. The concept that preserves and protects individual morality is a social context, the link between the moral code of a man and the legal code of society, between ethics and politics. Individual rights are the means of subordinating society to moral law. We've distinguished that rights are meant to protect the use of our judgment, our choices in the furtherance of our rational self-interest, our life. As lower animals act not by choice, but by instinct or by a process of conditioning, as in the Skinnerian model, then they do not possess rights. They really don't need them. There are humans... The volition, uh, there are humans, the volitional animal, and then there is everything else. But it would be a mistake to lump all of everything else into a single category, that being non-human. Everything else covers inanimate objects from rocks to the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and living animate objects from plants and viruses to elephants and monkeys. If we consider domestic animals as property, like Alice, 
as we do now, for anyone to suggest that all property be treated and disposed of as the owner wishes is to deny the nature of the property. Of the property itself. Of the property itself, yes. yeah. A chicken is not a rock. A chicken is not... A, a dog is not a, um, a, a, a table. You know, no, nor could you dispose of an inanimate object, say uh, a barrel of toxic waste, in the same way as you might... You know, just your regular... You've been reading my notes, Well, have I? I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was getting ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, great minds think alike. To destroy a rock you own is immaterial to anything or anyone. To destroy the Sistine Chapel would be a colossal shame, but a rock and a piece of art are inanimate objects, and the owner owner of them can do with them as he wishes, so long as the rights of other humans are not violated. You may be able to destroy your house... But to do so by setting it on fire, as you were about to allude to, Bob, with mm-hmm. the uh, pollution. Your neighbors might have something That's to right. say about that. Yeah. yeah, you're endangering your neighbors and their property. And that, of course, should be prohibited by law. You just simply can't do things with your own property based on the individual rights of others. But what about your property as it applies to other sentient beings. Animate objects are a different class of property. While only humans have rights, some animate property has properly been given status, usually granted by law, in recognition of their nature. If the, an, in a, sorry, if the animate object is a plant, an insect, a virus, or a bacterium, then there's no question that how one treats it should uh, not be any different than how one treats inanimate property. But if the property is sentient or can feel pain, extrapolating and making a supposition from our own nature, then... Although the property has no rights, it should be given status, and in doing so, we are giving it a degree of protection in law. This is not an unusual concept, and here we get to what you were uh, alluding to before, Bob, about children. Ascribing status to humans is commonplace when those humans cannot properly defend their own rights, as animals can't. A child who has yet to reach the age of majority has some rights, but not all based on his identity, his nature. A child is unable to fend for himself. And um, so his rights to liberty are curtailed until he's able to fend for himself. His welfare rests with his parents or guardians. Such protectors are not regarded as criminals for restricting the child's liberty, while if they restricted the liberty of an adult, they most certainly would be criminals. Why? Likewise, adults who have their mental facilities, or faculties rather, impaired, such as with dementia in the aged, or a coma in a traffic accident victim, or mental retardation, have their rights restricted legally and properly because they're unable to protect their own rights. They have the right to live, but not the right to enter into contracts, for example, or the right to come and go as they please. We do not simply discard children or the mentally challenged because they're incapable of making good judgments or making choices. They're given status and protected because we know that even though they're no longer able to make choices, they're sentient living beings who can feel pain. Using the same argument, animals, which are sentient and able to feel pain, should be given status under law. And by the way, by animals, I'm, t- I'm not talking about every single animal. There are animals which are, what I would say, are not sentient. They may feel pain on a very rudimentary uh, level. A fish is an animal. 
It may be vaguely aware of its surroundings, but it doesn't have any thought processes. Whether or not it feels pain is, is uh, open to interpretation, I guess. Um, I don't know, Bob, you can probably think about animals. Pain is something that has to be learned, as I understood it. Uh, You know, and and lower animals like amoeba and stuff like that are just on a, you know, on a stimulus response basis. Mm -hmm. Eventually, when you get enough of a complexity into that stimulus response, your brain will eventually regard something as quote-unquote pain warning you that something's wrong. That's why we have pain, mm-hmm. to let us know something's wrong and we got to fix it or change our behavior, right? And that's how we get that message from our bodies or from something around us. Yeah, what I'm talking about here are animals, higher order animals, um, like uh, mostly mammals, uh, monkeys, uh, chimpanzees, gorillas, of course, all the great apes, um, dogs, cats. Uh, I've had dogs. I've had, I have a cat. And you know if you had a dog, the go- dogs feel guilt. Dogs feel happiness. Dogs feel pain. Oh, yeah. You know, there's absolutely no question about it. You don't need to plug them up to a machine or to know their brain or dissect them to know um, what they're thinking yeah. and feeling. Our observations alone teach us a lot about of course. what we're dealing with. You know, you're talking about, I know Mr. Peacock likes to talk about animals as being property. I don't think that's the only status. Are you getting to that? <laughs> you gave me the... <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, okay, I'm going to talk about property too. Sure. You know, uh, as much as these animals are sentient, they feel pain, but still, they don't have rights because they're not volitional. They ev- even the right to life, they don't have it. It's often um, a rational choice of man to kill animals to further his own life, whether it's for um, food uh, or even shelter out of hides or clothing or um, even uh, uh, scientific experiments. It's rational for us to use animals in that way to further our own life. But the particular nature of animals of being sentient should be properly recognized as different from any other sort of property. So while we may be uh, properly able to kill animals for our own use, it's improper and should be illegal to torture them or to treat them inhumanely. The very notion of saying that they're uh, they're property in the same way as inanimate Mm. objects, is property, may also be called into question. We probably need another word for for it. It may be more accurate to say that we have custody of them. And don't mistake me, my use of that word custody to suggest that I place them on the same level of a human, I do not. I wish to simply posit the theory. Nor as a prisoner. (laughs) Or as a prisoner. (laughs) You're in my custody. Oh, you know, but there are people out there from Peter or whoever, those those idiots who just go and ransack universities, freeing the and liberating Mm -hmm. the animals, you know, because they don't understand their status. You know, I just want to put this theory out there that there is a, a finer gradation of ownership that some currently recognize. I realize fully realize that this rationale for animal status is just a rough outline of the case in favor of laws which compel people to treat animals humanely, and I'd enjoy hearing any arguments for or against my line of reasoning. I bring it forward mainly because of that Peacock podcast, which, um, and, and a number of objectivist friends who may, may just um, not recognize that uh, people have to treat their property, if you want to use that word, in a different way if that property is <coughs> sentient, uh, pain-feeling um, animals. 
you know, if I were to add anything to this, it's important to add, I think, that animals do not have any of these properties, quote-unquote, that we've ascribed to them on their own. All of that has to do with their relationship with us mm -hmm. as the human species. Everything we're talking about is the relationship of objects, of animals, of everything to us and how we should behave. That's what it ultimately comes down to is our behavior, not theirs. And so that any status that we ascribe to animals comes not from the nature of the animal, but from the nature of our relationship to those animals and our code of values mm -hmm. from which that status comes. It doesn't come from the animal, it comes from us. Yes. And that to me is a very important distinction to have to make that all of this that we're talking about is not about the animal or nature itself. If there was just animals on this earth and no human beings, this discussion wouldn't be happening. <laughs> no, of there would be not. no such discussion. And so to me, when you look at uh, an act of, <coughs> excuse me, irrational or of, of torturing an animal just for its own sake, that to me is an irrational act. Uh, yes, for but, the human being. But should it be illegal? That's another issue. That's what I'm saying is and, that, yes, it should be I illegal. I think it should be on a, on, a, on a certain level, but boy, I'll tell you, that can be, uh, you know, somebody might argue, well, again, you can come back to the laboratory where they experiment on animals. Some people think that's torture. Yeah, I've right? done it. As a matter of fact, I used to be you a lab technician. Right here, I've yeah. killed, actually, quite literally, hundreds of animals. Uh, sacrifice them is the word we use, and mm -hmm. we have to treat them humanely. And there are codes of ethics that, that even oversight. Within, even within the scientific In this uh, university, uh, yes, there's oversight. Yes. Yeah, uh, as to how we treat animals. And I think it's proper. And I hope that um, I've led some people uh, in the, the direction of thinking that way. Or we've confused them more. I'm not sure which, but yeah. we'll, we'll hope for the best. <laughs> that it, Robert? That's it, Bob. Okay, well, I guess that's it for this week. Join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Sheldon, is it possible that your foul mood, or to use the clinical term, bitchiness, <laughs> is because your mother isn't making you a priority? No. Or to use the clinical term, nuh uh. Are you sure? The infant mother pair bond is the building block of primate psychology. Oh, there it is. It always comes back to monkeys with you. Just monkeys, monkeys, monkeys. <laughs> Sheldon, we're all animals. And granted, there are aspects of you that are extraordinary. When it comes to emotions and relationships, you're just like everybody else. Are you trying to suggest that my emotional problems are no different than those of a stupid person? 